0: 2018 we've seen the tail end of it only God knows what's in store for 2019 but we know that we can trust him for every moment in it today our scripture reading and our text is found in Matthew 25 I ask you to turn there Matthew 25 starting at verse 31 when you turn there let's all stand in respect to the reading of God's holy word Matthew 25, verse 31 through verse 46. I'm going to read aloud and ask you to just follow along with me in your, in your Bibles before you as I read Matthew 25, verse 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, Then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. And he will separate people, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, where I was hungry Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. May God give us understanding in his word today and help us to rightly apply these truths in our lives. For faith, for trust in Christ, and the fruit that goes along with true faith. I ask if you would remain standing and join me in a time of prayer. After a word of prayer, our choir will come with a song and then the preaching of God's word for today. Father, we thank you for your grace that brings us to the close of another year. We thank you for the the, uh, displays of your grace throughout this year in so many ways. We just want to thank you for keeping us, for Um, providing protecting and blessing us thanking you Lord for the Lord Jesus Christ who is our Savior our Shepherd our Lord we thank you for his salvation the salvation that comes through the blood that he shed on the cross for the sins of those who trust in him and we thank you Lord for the promise of eternal life that he's given to us through that sacrifice that he has made We pray, Lord, that you would uh, find us faithful here, serving you, um, living out your truths and uh, proclaiming this gospel of the kingdom so that others might come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior, be forgiven of their sin and and have life, abundant life in him. We pray today, Lord, for those (coughs) in our group who are still struggling and suffering with Different ailments. We continue to pray for Dwayne and asking you to watch over and bless him. Um, my dad, who's in the hospital, that you would watch over him and keep him and, and bless him, and uh, others, Lord, who have uh, had different just challenges and ailments throughout um, throughout their time here. We just pray that you would be their stronghold. That you would be. They would see you and trust in you and find comfort in you, knowing, Lord, that you love them, you care, for, you care for them, and even though they may go through suffering, Lord, you have not forsaken them, and you, have, uh, um, you are providing for them, and help them to be that testimony and example to others, and then we just pray for the preaching of your word today, that you would use it for your glory, for grace in our lives, to uh, call us to to live faithfully for you and to serve you. In this we pray now in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. During this Christmas season, we have used as a theme the king and his kingdom. And today we will look at that last Message on this theme and entitled today's message The King at His Kingdom. The King at His Kingdom. Matthew 25 is the text we'll be using. We read earlier this morning starting at verse 31 and we see this is not a parable. This is not a parable. It has a metaphor in there when he's talking about separating the nations like a shepherd would separate sheep from goats. But he speaks about what, the, what will happen when the king comes into his kingdom. And so let's take a look because I think it's very direct, it's very straightforward, and it gives us great information, understanding what we should expect when Christ returns. I want you to notice, though, that it's vastly different than the image at the Christmas story, where we see the humble baby Christ child laying on a manger, laying in a manger, and he is helpless. He's an infant, um, and yes, he's he's praised and worshipped by some, but only few. Here we see quite a different image of Christ and this is the full gospel picture of Christ this is what he wants us to understand that will happen uh, at his appearing in fact he says Jesus is speaking here he says when the Son of Man comes in his glory he comes first of all in his glory When he was born as an infant baby, he was not in his glory. He was made uh, like us. He was made in his human weakness. But now he comes, he says, in his glory. Now I want you to notice something. He uses the term son of man, um, but he makes it clear that this son of man means that he is a king. We see in verse 34, it says, then the king will say. The king. It's the same one as the son of man, but he's referred to here as the king. In verse 40, and the king will answer them. So it's the king who's presented here as the son of man. When the son of man comes in his glory, so he comes, first of all, in his glory. Glory. What does that mean? Well, we, we have different things that kind of represent that, but it, it speaks of his splendor, it speaks of, of his character, his richness, his power, his beauty, and all that is his that is expressed. Sometimes we see it as human beings in how a person appears to us, sometimes their clothing. So we will see a king dressed. In king's uh, uh, in a king's wardrobe, we would see him, uh, 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 um, all the things that go with that. Now, today, our entertainers kind of kind of try to bring their own glory when they uh, uh, perform on a stage, and, and we see their, uh, uh, um, we see what they wear, we see they, their makeup, we see their jewelry, we see how they present themselves. Well, that's a small token compared to the glory that belongs with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here, he's not a baby infant that you can confuse with any other child. Here he comes and he is known and he is displayed in his full position as king. One of the things that expresses his glory, notice it says here, and all the angels with him. All the angels with him. I mean, if you will stop to think that usually in Scripture, when an angel is depicted, when he comes on the scene, and we see this in the story of Christ's birth, we see it with Zechariah as he's ministering in the temple. An angel appears to him and nearly scares him to death. We see it with Joseph. An angel appears to him. With Mary, an angel appears to her. And we see one of the first things angels normally say when they come on the scene is, Don't be afraid. (laughs) Fear not. Don't be afraid. Why do they say that? Because when human beings see an angel, we practically fall out. We're scared to death. Because of their majesty, because of their power, we're in the presence of a being that's much greater than us, and that's just an angel. The Bible says he comes, the Son of Man, the king comes with all of his angels. So if you can imagine all at one time, all of these angels, and they simply are part of the glory that's a part of this king. So we notice then that he comes in his glory. He comes with all of his angels. And notice what he does when he comes. This is the message that he wants to get to us. It says, he sits on his glorious throne. In in case we didn't get the picture of glory there before this, with his own glory, his own persona, and the angels that accompany him, he tells us that he sits on a glorious throne. Now, the position of of being seated tells us that he's perfectly comfortable and there's no threat to him. When I was a little boy, when I was threatened, the other people, what you would do is you would stand and get ready, right? They say, put your dukes up, right? They, they say, stand and get ready. Now, that's not a comfortable, that means I'm going to act, right? And I'm prepared for whatever happens. And people would flinch to see if you were really mean business, right? And sometimes they flinch and you would jump. But the picture of a king sitting on his throne is like, he ain't worried about nothing. He is in absolute control. There is nothing that threatens him. There is no power that is his equal, and there is nothing that comes to threaten his power. He sits. Now, where does he sit? It says, on his throne, on his throne throne. The throne is a seat that's prepared for the one in charge. See when I was a little boy we had rules that when you were with family and you were seated there if an elder came in the room you gave up your seat. You you didn't ask any questions. You got up from your seat and you allowed them to sit down. They didn't have to ask you for it. You simply out of respect got up. And they sat down. Now, we live in a culture that doesn't respect that anymore. I think we should respect that. I think if you're riding on a bus and you see someone who, who, who needs to sit down more than you, then you ought to willingly give that up to that person, whether that is, is a woman with a small child or a woman who's pregnant or an older person. You ought to, you ought to show that respect. But well, we see that Jesus is seated on his throne throne the throne says who he is it's his seat nobody else sits there nobody else deserves to sit there but he and he alone sits in command in his special place on his throne the throne is a place for only the king (laughs) there he sits on the throne what does he do on this throne. Before we get to that, I want you to look at a couple of scriptures in, in Acts chapter 7, verse 56. <coughs> I want you to notice Jesus' position, Acts seven fifty six. He said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. This was Stephen. Before he was killed for his faith in Christ, and he had a picture of heaven, he saw the Son of Man, he saw Jesus standing. Where's he standing? At the right hand of God. That is his position. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20, you can turn there with me. Ephesians 1, 20. of getting in the middle of a statement, but we'll see that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. We see Jesus in his exalted position He's seated. Where is he? He's seated. He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. There's no more significant, more powerful person than Jesus himself. There in heaven, the place of all rule, he's in the place of authority, and he rules over all, and it says there's none that equals his power. Take a look at a few more verses that show this exalted position of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, it says, And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we see Jesus seated seated there, and we see at some point we will be with him in that position as well. We will be raised up with him. I also want you to notice in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. Here Paul states that it's Jesus who's going to judge He's going to judge both the living and and the dead. So we know who will judge, who will be judged. Jesus will judge, all will be judged, living and dead. That means everybody who ever existed. And when will this happen? At his appearing and his kingdom. And so we notice then back in Matthew 25 that we are given the scene when that happens. Jesus is going to judge This is his appearing. This is the start of his kingdom. One of the things that he does as he starts his kingdom is to judge. So go back to Matthew 25 with me. And in verse 32, it says, Before him will be gathered all the nations. (coughs) Before him will be gathered all the nations. Everybody. Everyone, saved and unsaved, all will stand before this judge. And it says here, he will separate people, one from another. He's going to make a a division. It says, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right come you who are blessed by my father notice the king says you're blessed by my father so it's not God who's depicted as king in this scene it's Jesus himself who's depicted as the king the one who sits here on the throne and the one who judges over all individuals living, dead saved and unsaved I want you to notice how he judges. He says he separates the sheep from the goats, and he speaks to the sheep first, the ones on his right, and he tells them this in verse 34. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I'm going to look at those phrases and Analyze what they mean, and we're going to compare those phrases to the statement that he makes to the goats on his left. To the sheep on his right, he invites them to come. That is, to enter into his kingdom. He invites the sheep to enter into his kingdom. This is the king sitting on his throne and all his power and his authority, he's He's judged all people and divided them simply into two groups. And he invites that first group is known as his sheep to enter, to come, and to enter into his kingdom. He says that they are blessed by his father. They will inherit the kingdom. And he says that this kingdom has been prepared for them from the foundation of the world. So when we talk about the king and his kingdom, it is something that's been in the plan of God for all all of creation, all all since we have existed, this has been God's plan. This is God's eternal plan, and he's putting it into place in a special way at this point. Now, why does he invite the sheep to come what is the evidence that he states that these sheep are ones who will inherit the kingdom he says this in verse 35 through 40 for i was hungry and you gave me food i was thirsty and you gave me drink i was a stranger and you welcomed me i was naked and you clothed me i was sick and you visited me i was in prison and you came to me Then the righteous will answer, saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? The king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then what is the evidence For these sheep. What is it that Jesus sees in these particular people who are called sheep that he welcomes and invites them into the kingdom? Jesus notes one simple thing here He notes their true love for him that's displayed in how they treat, how they love and treat each other. That's what he knows. Their true love for him displayed in how they love and treat each other. Of is shown by action, not feeling or mere thoughts or mere words. Love can be accompanied by feelings, true feelings, and it is. It's accompanied by thought and words, but it's not shown by mere feelings or thoughts or words. It is shown in action. God loved us in this way. He gave his only son to die on the cross for our sins. His son stepped out of heaven and took on a human body so that he could be the sacrifice for and the payment for our sin. Love is shown in action. And Jesus is saying here, these individuals showed their true love for Jesus by their true action amongst each other. That's a statement that he makes. Let's look at the other group and what he says to them. Verse 41, (coughs) then he will say to those (coughs) on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Notice the contrast of this statement with the statement to the other group. To the first group called sheep, he says, Come, I invite you into the kingdom. To the second group called the ghosts, he says, Depart. He rejects them utterly. He casts them out. Depart. Get away from me. It's a command. Depart instead of come. It's not an invitation, It's it's a stunning rejection. Depart from me. Move away from me, not come to me, but move away from me. He says, you are cursed. The other ones that have been blessed by the Father, these are cursed. In other words, they have God's judgment placed upon them. That first group, he says, come to the place, to the kingdom that has been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. To this group, he says, you come, you, you, excuse me, you are rejected and you are cursed to eternal fire that's been prepared for the devil and his angels. It's a stunning contrast. I want you to notice something. There is no middle group. Is a final judgment that Jesus makes. There is no middle group. Then he says this as the evidence for the goats. Why are they cursed? Verse 42 I was hungry. You gave me no food. I was thirsty. You gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked? and you did not clothe me, <clears throat> sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Jesus says, me, 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 me. He is saying, you rejected me. You did not love me. And your, your hatred and rejection of me is displayed because they asked the question, Wait, what do you mean we didn't love you? Verse 44, then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Tell us when did this happen? Verse th- 45, Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. He says, Your love for me, or lack of, in other words, your hatred for me, is shown clearly in how you hated my people, rejected them, and mistreated them. Now that message is strong and that message is clear, but I'm amazed at how it gets so diluted and confused today. Let me talk about a few applications that we need to make from this. First of all, first application is Jesus identifies with his people. Jesus personally identifies with his people. I'm going to make an application for that as well in just a moment. But here's the, the, the place I see it most confused. This is not a mandate to start food pantries and clothing pantries and homeless shelters and hospitals and to visit hospitals and prisons. Some people think I'm strange when I say that. It's not a mandate for that. It's not to say that those are bad things or shouldn't be done. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's not talking about how we go to the world and how we deal with them And even how the gospel goes to them. He is talking about the evidence or the fruit of the gospel in our lives. And what he's saying is I identify with my people. Those who are my people connect with me through my people. Let me break it down. What he's saying is, I identify with my people. Do you? Do you? If you are my people, you will. We live in an age today that belittles church attendance, going to church, being around God's people. Jesus didn't. He says, the things that you have done to my people, you are doing to me. When you don't want to hang out with my people, You don't want to hang out with me. You don't want to be a part of my people. You really don't want to be a part of me. When you have a disdain for my people, you're talking about me. I understand. We have, Satan is is, is busy. We have a lot of things going on. I, I talked to a gentleman this week who really has struggled trying to understand the Bible. And he, he, he grew up in, in a church where he had very little um, good examples. In fact, he told me, he said, you know, the pastor, he was messing around with several women in the church. And I felt sorry for him. I felt sorry for that pastor. As he told me the story, found out that <laughs> very soon after that, had had been become public um, that building burned down god god's judgment was upon that place i don't know what what happened particularly to that man but i know it's not a good thing god doesn't look lightly at that i know satan is 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 busy and and he's he there, there's a lot of things that's going on in church that are uh that are unattractive to people but yet God is still working in his people and through his people. He still wants us connected to his people. He's identifying with his people. And he says, I want you to identify with the people. And in such a strong statement, he says, when you have done and treated my people this way, you have done and treated me this way. And in fact, it's, 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 it's kind of a challenge to say, don't go out in the world with all your charities and doing all those things to the world when you haven't interacted and loved God's people in a meaningful way. Start here, he's saying. Let that love be shown here. Look at John. In fact, look at John 13, verse 33. You can look at a couple different passages. John 13, 33, Jesus says this, He starts that statement off by saying, I, I'm, I'm leaving you and I won't be here all the time. But here's what I want you to do I want you to love one another because you're going to need one another. You need to minister to one another in my absence. He says, this is how the world would know that you belong to me because of the connection and the true love that you have for one another. It's amazing to me that Jesus put as his test to say, those who come into my kingdom were those who have truly shown a love for God's people. He's saying, you show your love for me, for Jesus, by how you love God those who love Jesus. That's what he said. And so often we get it wrong. We go out in this Christmas season and we help everybody else and we come home and we argue and we fuss and we fight and we bicker and we aren't loving each other the way God says and God demands that we should. In Romans chapter 12 verse 9 he says this. Romans 12:9 Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil; hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. He talks about love in verse 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Contribute to the needs of the saints. The saints, he says. The saints. And seek to show hospitality. Galatians 6, verse 9 and 10, he says this. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So as I mentioned before, he didn't didn't say don't have food pantries and clothing pantries, but he says do good to everyone, and especially, he says, those who are of the household of faith. He says, let your show, your love be displayed amongst each other first and foremost. Let that be true. Let that be genuine. In 1 John 3, verse 16. 1 John chapter 3. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. He says, for the brothers. He didn't even say for your neighbor, not that you shouldn't do that, but he says for the brothers. It ought to be shown there first. In chapter four of 1 John, verse seven, he says this, beloved, let us love one another sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So what Jesus says will be the model of our character, the character that shows that we really love him, is that we will actually love each other. Practical ways to show love. I'm just gonna mention three here. Three practical ways to show love. I want you to consider this, especially as we enter into a new year, practical ways that you can show love. First one as Jesus did in Matthew 25, identify with God's people. Identify with God's people. Identify with God's people. Remember how hurt Peter was when Jesus says, yeah, I'm going to the cross, but before this night is over, you're going to deny me three times. And he did. He was so hurt because he was sure that he loved jesus but when the moment of truth came he failed jesus asked him back in john chapter 20 peter do you love me peter knew that he loved him but he knew at the moment of truth he had failed and that he let him down and so he realized that i'm going to show my love most first of all by identifying with the lord jesus christ And I'm going to show that even by identifying with God's people. Now, that's a broad statement. How should you show that? Very easily. Nobody should have to make you come to church. They shouldn't have to browbeat you and threaten you and even even set your alarm for you or wake you up in the morning. You ought to be ready to come. Come. You say, oh, I can worship God anywhere. God says, look, identify with his people and make that a priority in your life. I'm going to turn that a little bit because the next one, practical ways of showing love. Be faithful and on time to church. How is that a practical way of showing love? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's known as the love chapter, isn't it? 1 Corinthians 13. Be faithful and on time to church. Now that's something that most of us can work on. Most of us can work on. So I'm not picking on you, even though I am picking on you. It's an area that we need to work on. Being faithful, in 1 Corinthians thirteen seven, it says, "Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things." Love endures. So love is not sometimesy; love is all the timesy, right? Love is faithful and consistent. Show that in your faithfulness and your consistency in meeting with God's people. Now, I'm the kind of person where throughout the week I often will meet with people, and so my calendar is set by appointments, and, and uh, I, can, can I just give you a little window into my heart? I don't like when people say, Yeah, let's meet at 3 o'clock, and I'm there at 3 o'clock, and they ain't. I don't like it. They wasted my time. They're lying. They didn't keep their word. Now, I do understand if something comes up, and they call me at 2.30 and say, I'm running real tight. I might not be there at 3. Oh, I'm glad you called, because I expected you at 3, because that's what we said. And now we can change our plans and I can plan accordingly. Be faithful and on time. Love is faithful. That's what the word enduring means. It it goes through things and it keeps on being consistent and faithful. You can show that in a very practical way. That you honor the times you meet with God's people. You know what people say when they're late? I don't care. That's what their attitude says. It's not important to me to be there at that time. That's just what you said It's not important to me. You know how I know that? Because I see it in every area of life. When something is important, guess what? We get up for it. As kids, I was never late getting up for Christmas. Right? I'd wake up my parents several times. Mom would be in the, in the kitchen still cooking. I said, Mom, it's after midnight, so it's technically it's Christmas. I can open my gifts. Go back to bed, boy. <laughs> when something is important to you, you show the importance by respecting the time. If a meeting is important to you, you're there if you have a habit of not doing that, you have a habit of disrespecting other people's times. But you need to confess. Because you have belittled your time together with other people. And that is with God's people. Make that a priority in 2019. And start tomorrow. Amen. Start tomorrow, 8 o'clock, we're going to be here. You got something else more important than that? Then I guess you show your priority, don't you? Pastor, you can't expect it. Yes, I can. And I do. More importantly, God does. He says, make, identify with my people and make the coming together with my people a priority in your life. Not just because I said it, but because how critical it is to your development and what it says about being a child of God and loving God and loving Jesus and loving God's people. Look forward to those times. Teach that to your children. So the third practical, the first practical was identify with God's people. The second practical was be faithful and on time. The third one is serve other believers at church let me restate those other ones because there's an important point that belongs at the end of each one identify with God's people at church be faithful and on time at church serve other believers at church serve Come with a heart to serve. You know, the hardest place it is for me to get helpers in the church is probably the nursery. You know why? (laughs) Because it's not easy. (laughs) It's not easy. It's hard. It calls for real sacrifice. You say, well, pastor, I want to be in there taking in God's word. You're not that spiritual. (laughs) What you're saying is, I'd rather be in here than in there. And I would rather you. But that's why we need you in there, so that others can come and enjoy the teaching of God's word when they can. What happens is when things work well is that we don't have anybody in there every Sunday, but we run a schedule so that mothers can come in and be a part of here. But to do that, we need people who are willing to serve willing to serve others i mentioned nursery there's other areas there's some very practical ones cleaning is another one i want to tell you something as a pastor i can tell when people are growing in their commitment in christ when they're willing to work in nursery when they're willing to clean the church when they're willing to do those other things that take much effort but don't get much applause They're growing in their service of the Lord. Jesus says, you know when you showed your love for me? When you showed it towards my people. When you allowed them to come into clean church and worship. When you allowed them to get away from their loud crying kids and come in fellowship and worship. Because you served in the nursery for that time that you were appointed. Work days is an area that is an opportunity to serve. It was fun getting ready for the Grace Partners Fellowship. It was fun because it called for us to come together and to do a part. We had a team of people who came at least a month and probably two months ahead of time and they began to do things like clean chairs and clean spots on carpets and And sand ceilings and prime and get ready for things like that and it's just a joy to my heart to see those things happening because people have a concern and they're looking at how can I serve instead of how can I be served notice what Jesus says to the group who are called goats he says you didn't do this and they said when did we see you hungry and when did we see you thirsty and when did we see you without food <coughs> excuse me and, and, and when did we see you without a, a, a place to stay and they said this and not minister to you they recognized that all those were ministering within the people of God it really starts right here in home before we can go out and do things other places, we have to be willing to serve one another. Examine your attitude for service, your willingness to serve. Do something for someone. Do something with someone. Serve others. I pray that as we go through this new year, you'll be looking for opportunities Wednesday we had a time together and uh, I noticed that we had very few truth-seekers people here on Wednesday night. We had some truth seeker kids, but all of our volunteers and helpers who serve in truth-seekers said, I'm taking the night off. And since it's the day after Christmas, I I don't have to go to church today. It's that attitude that I would love to challenge Those who serve saying, Lord, here I am. The choir sang a song, Lord, I'm available to you. And though I feel like taking a Wednesday off, I'm not. Because others need me, and I want to serve, and I want to do that faithfully. If that's stepping on your toes a bit, praise God. I don't mind doing it because my toes get stepped on all the time. The Lord does that to me often. He asks us to examine our willingness to serve each other. Are you here to serve or to be served? Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve others. And so we take on his attitude. And I I will notice that our our church grows as as we incorporate that type of attitude amongst us. Wednesday was not a good example, but there are other good examples that we have, and I praise God for those good examples. I mentioned one of them with our Grace Partners thing coming on, but I mentioned Wednesday because we need to be challenged. And we don't take a day off of service to the Lord. Not that way, at least. What we do is we serve and we cooperate and as I mentioned, like the nursery, if we have enough people cooperating, it allows others to take time away from that ministry and to function in another ministry, to function in a way to encourage others. Even in this small church, there's many ways that you can be used in service to others, and you should actively look for that while your leadership team is actively looking at how to match you with that. So both of those are functioning well we should see two groups who are looking to serve and looking for ways to use the service of God's people amongst God's people. I'm thankful for what God is doing in this church in so many efforts in so many ways. Uh, And you know, sometimes we push ourselves thin. I understand that. We, 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 We try to do much, but I'd rather do that than not be doing enough. I'd rather stretch ourselves thin in areas. I'm glad to see the youth component of our Youth for Christ coming out this year and and challenging our young people. And, and, and working in that capacity. I'm, I'm glad to see that. I'm glad to see um, our men stretch out into mentors and, and working with Milwaukee Rescue Mission and, and those kind of things. Uh, I was talking to Brian earlier, and we want to we expand and, 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 and really get on our uh, um, evangelism this year and, and, and work at actively doing that. So there's more things that we want to do, but we want to be consistent at the things that we already do as well. And we need you to be faithful in doing that. I know I'm I'm preaching to the choir, but I don't mind doing that. (laughs) The choir needs encouragement too. Encouragement don't always come as a pat on the back. Sometimes it comes as a little stepping on the toes sometimes. And that's all right. So look to serve. Look to serve other believers at church. Then let me close with this thought. Our love simply mirrors God's love for us. A couple weeks ago, I preached a message where Jesus was was in one of the Pharisees' house and he had been invited to dinner and a woman had come into that house and she began to, to, to wash Jesus' feet with her hair to wipe his feet with her hair as well, and, and to anoint him with oil. And, and other people didn't like this, this show and this display. And he uh, said, you know, if Jesus knew who she really was and how sinful she was, he, he wouldn't let her touch, her touch him. But Jesus said to the host, whose name was Simon, he says, this woman has been forgiven much, and so she loves much. And that was a rebuke to Simon, because Simon acted like a lot of people who don't really feel like they've been forgiven of much, and it shows in their lack of service to God and to others. So our love mirrors the love that God has displayed in us, and we need to ask ourselves, do we appreciate, and are we appreciating more fully, God's love for us? In 1 John 4:19 it says this we love because he loved us. He started, he initiated that love. In Romans 8:31 and I want you to turn there. Romans 8:31. I'm amazed at how God wants us to know and be confident in his love that he has for us. He wants us to to soak in that. He wants us to marinate in that, to to, to understand it. So in, in Romans 8, 31, he says this, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Verse 37, he says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He wants us to be sure, confident of God's love for us, how great that love is. And in Ephesians chapter 3, he says it this way. Verse 14, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God? He says, I want you to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. He says, I want you to drink it in. I want you to be filled with the knowledge of how great God's love, how great Christ's love is for you. And when you're saturated in God's love, you can't help but to spill it out everywhere you go. As you interact with God's people, it'll be seen, it'll be shown. Father, we thank you for your grace to us. Help us to remember and to think and to reflect and to meditate on how great your love is to us so that we can begin to display that love before each other. Give us appreciation, greater appreciation for your love for us so that we might live that out in our lives. So we're thankful for this year We see many things that have occurred this year that are encouragement. We see reasons to continue to be faithful and steadfast and to not give up and to keep at it. So I pray you would encourage our hearts and help us to see this picture that Christ has for us a picture of caring for one another in such a way that we become a testimony. Those outside of Christ, we pray that we'll live this out. Our faith will be real. It'll be shown. Our love for you and our love for each other. In Jesus' name, we pray.